Uh, hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Beyond the Baseline Tennis Podcast. And for a guest, we have Brad Gilbert. A few of you suggested we should get him on. It would be a good conversation, and indeed you were right. Brad is terrific. I want to say as a programming note, we recorded this a few days before the Maria Sharapova doping announcement, so just be advised of that. If Sharapova's name comes up, it was done in advance of uh, Monday's press conference where she announced that, yes, in fact, she had tested positive for a substance on the ban list. That out of the way, let's get to Brad. You obviously know him from ESPN. What you don't always know about Brad, and I will say this because he does not do it to his great credit on air. We'll talk about this. What you don't know about Brad is he was one hell of a tennis player, ranked as high as number four, won over 500 matches, 120 titles. For all the commentators out there that often reflect on their own tennis careers, Brad is remarkably buttoned up with this, as he will tell you he'd rather talk about the present and the future than the past, but make no mistake, Brad was a great player. He also, of course, and this is what I like about him, best perhaps he makes tennis so accessible to casual sports fans. There are nicknames, there are references to other sports other than tennis. He really seems to have a good time with it. That comes across, obviously, in his commentary. So without further ado, he's currently gloating because his Golden State Warriors are about to win their second straight NBA title. Uh, But he's out in Oakland. I'm in New York. I'm about to go to California. He's about to go to New York. So before we got on our respective flights, we figured we'd talk. Bring him in now, Brad Gilbert. Brad, how are you? Hello, BG. Radio Nation Alive and Well. (laughs) Welcome. Good morning. How are you, John? Good. How's Radio Nation? Radio Nation, you know, hopefully we are going to get some love off of, you know, what's been happening with the dubs. It's been so long that we've been relevant. Uh, it, it, I, you know, my son, you know, at least finally, he's 27 years old. Last year was the first time he got to see a winner his whole life. We've had to watch the Giants win, but we're diehard Oakland fans. Yeah, that's right. So we're, we're hoping, you know, maybe, you know, it's been 14 years since we've been 500. So let's hope next year is the start of us being 500 and being relevant again. As long as you brought it up. Your son is a really delightful kid. Sort of like what I say about Jimmy Connors. Whatever you want to say about the guy, he, he, he raised a Menchie kid, so you should know that. Uh, things are pretty good. You know what? Let's, let's start with tennis, then we can go back to East Bay sports, because I, I do really want to talk about the Warriors um, in all seriousness. But we got, we got to start with tennis, all right? Okay. Djokovic, he's like the Warriors. It's like East Bay sports all over again. No, I, I mean, this. you know how the Warriors have, have hijacked the NBA? I mean, the... Clippers were playing Oklahoma City last night. I'm like, eh, neither of them's going to be Golden State, so it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's kind of the joke of its show uh, in tennis right now, isn't it? You know what? It's kind of interesting. Is is like what's happening with the Warriors? I've had to see pretty much my whole life, you know, with the Lakers, with Showtime, and how relevant they've been. The Warriors hadn't won the division before last year since '75. But the thing is with the Lakers. You know, uh, they had huge fan appeal. Now, outside of, you know, the L.A. area, a lot like what the Warriors are experiencing for the first time ever. Right. But on the heels of what Joker's doing, and mind you, my eyes have never seen anybody play tennis better. Um, and I think that we keep it, you know, growing upon where we're going. And I, I'm not like 
like these a lot of these old basketball players are saying what Curry is doing. I was going to say, what's, what's, uh, of, right, what's Oscar Robertson say about Djokovic? Yeah. So, to me, what Djokovic has done, first of all, he was number three forever. And the fact that he chased these two guys for have such massive fan bases. Uh, I mean, first you got Fed, who destroys their Jeter fan base. You, you know, and, and then you've got Rafa, who's beloved. Right. Then you even got Murray, who's got a much smaller base. And then to me, Joker is playing at such a genius level, but yet doesn't have the fan base uh, like these others. And so I, I think that, you know, a little bit like Lendo, so many people kind of root for him to lose now just because how incredibly good he is. And I, I'm just amazed at his level day in and day out, what, what he's playing at and, and where he's going to continue to go the next 24 to 36 months. As a coach, this is it sounds rhetorical, but it's not. I mean, realistically, how how do you beat this guy? I mean, you you're coaching whoever you're you're coaching Andy, you're coaching Jill Simone, whoever it is. What are you telling him? Well, I mean, obviously, every situation is different upon how you're in the trenches with the player that you're coaching and what their skill set was. But amazingly, I've seen so many unbelievable players been in the trenches with some of them to see a match like what Djokovic went through in Melbourne against uh, Simon. Right. 99.999% of the guys lose that match. The fact that he could find a way to win that match and then go on and capitalize the rest of the tournament just kind of cemented the genius level for me of where he's at. And like what Federer did, what Rafa's done, what Pisa, like so many great players have done, they, they, they push the envelope, you know, for everybody else to get better. They, they push the envelope for everybody else to get better, and now everybody else has to adjust to that. And, and that's what Fed did to everybody. Now this is what Joker's doing. You, you didn't give me much there. So, so Roger, I mean, we're, we're well, hitting I mean, high. But no, but, but seriously. I'll say this. I'll say this. If you're playing Joker in, in general, you need to be able to get three points off your serve. And you need to be able to play, in my mind, bold. You know, you, you need to be able to, you, you know, try to take him out of rhythm. Simone did it in a weird way where he just tried to make balls. But in general, I'll call it like what Solerling did to, to Rafa that one time. You, you've got to be able to make the points short, and you've got to be able to get three points. Can a player win ugly today? Uh, did, uh, what's Simone doing? Well, he's, he's getting 100. He's getting, I, don't, I don't mean to get Djokovic. I mean, get, does, does, win, does winning ugly tennis uh, still hold? You, you know, in every sport, there, there's a... There's a a way that you can do things that other people don't do. I, I would say I was an incredibly poor man's version, a little bit of way Andy Murray is. You, you know, you could argue until a couple of years ago that, that Murray had a lot of that. Now he's playing a little more aggressively, but he had a lot of that, that, that people would look at him and not quite figure out what he's doing to be winning. And sometimes that's the genius 
of being able to do something in a sport where people, they kind of shake their, how, how was he winning? I remember when I started coaching him in 2006, and everybody kept telling me, I mean, stop, how is this guy winning? I mean, he's just a pusher. He does this, he does that. And, and I'm like, that immediately made me more drawn to him that, wow, so many people don't think he has, you, you know, things in his game, but you can't see it. So um, I, I think that that is the geniusness of sports. But, but now I do believe, though, at the upper echelon of tennis. The one thing that's dramatically changed is athleticism and speed. And you can have any different style now to be great, you know, all-arounder, you know, uh, great ground stroke, but you need speed and athleticism to be in the top four in the world. I always laugh when everyone's talking about uh, Raonic's athleticism, what's going to hold him back. You see the guy dunking. You see the guy lumbering around. The guy looks like a pretty decent athlete to me. I mean, if, if if that's an example of a guy whose athleticism is going to prevent him from winning majors, um, that that says a lot about where the sports come. I mean, he he he's a very good athlete. He's I mean, a good athlete. I mean, he's, whatever. He's not, not Roger, the but level, the, yeah, exactly. He's not the same. He's not the same at the, the the level as the big, you know, as Murray, Djokovic, Rafa, Fed. But for his size, six five, two hundred eighteen pounds, or whatever it is, he's a darn good athlete. You know, a lot of these guys, Nishikori, Raonich, um, you know, some of these guys, you know, maybe you'll look back in five or ten years, a little bit of like the Charles Barkley syndrome. You know, they, you know, he just ran at the same time as Jordan. Right. This right. big four has taken away from a lot of maybe one or two generations of of possibilities. Uh, but I think it's going to really change the bar for these guys that are now 18 to 20 that in four or five years, at some point, the big four has to start to go, you know, at some point, you know, get, get older. Nobody cheats father time, but they've done amazing. But I think they're the ones and maybe even some 15, 16 year olds who will push the envelope amazingly because of what Joker's doing right now, what Fed's done, what Rafa's done. You gonna coach Dimitrov already, or do we have to just keep uh, going in circles here? Um, you, you know what's a rough word is expectation. Yeah, a lot has been expected of him. That's true. And I do know that my wife says this. It, 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 I, you know, maybe not about tennis, but about life. A lot of times, when you're a copy, very hard to be as good as the original. And. The fact that they were calling him the baby fed and he had a game like fed, I just think put more pressure on him. And I think over the last maybe 18 months, his game maybe hit a plateau. And at 23, you know, because he couldn't beat the big four in these, you know, and, and that ultimately hurts a lot of these guys is, you know, you're measured against that. Right, right. You know who, uh, you know who sells Brad Gilbert short? Brad, Brad Gilbert, she's. I mean, I mean, I uh, the the the, the um, you know the ones where I kind of blame my family, like the short shorts and the high socks and the tight shirt of the early eighties, <laughs> like the or, big shorts, or now the long shorts and the the no socks, or or the uh, I was gonna say or the Steve Carell movie. No, I was gonna say you you sell yourself short. You won twenty titles. You got to number four. A lot of good wins. You don't talk a whole lot about your career. As a player, 
Is that intent? I mean, you don't, you don't really play the, you know, when, when I was playing drill, that a lot of players who weren't as accomplished as you or did not play as recently as you uh, are, are much more likely to do. Is, is that intentional? Why, why don't you, you, you don't tend to bring up your playing days very much at all. And I, I wonder why that is. Well, first of all, there's enough of them that do it. And I feel like, you know, it's not relevant. Maybe it's a little more relevant that some of the guys that I did coach that, that played more recently and were in the thick of things and the game has changed a lot of things. But I, I feel like I would prefer that we focus on what's happening or maybe, you know, when, when I coach some players that were maybe in the thick of things, but I, I, I don't want to get caught up in myself and I'm completely over, you know, my playing, you know, I had a great run, but it's over. I, I, I love coaching. I love doing TV. I, I think that's more relevant, and I don't need to, to feel good about myself and talk about my results. They were only average, but, you know, we all wish we could, you know, be a little bit better. But it, that part's over. I like hearing that. I, I was telling someone, I said, so we, we, you know, we all love McEnroe Borg, but more than half the world's population wasn't born in 1981. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, it's amazing how I could talk about Andre. I could tell Andre's story, but it's like, you know, you start to think, man, there's a lot of 20-year-olds unless they literally go to YouTube and stuff like that. It's not like they saw him and Pete play their epic matches. One of the most amazing things is I heard Taylor Fritz. I call him Fritz Carlton. We just, we just had him on the podcast. Years old. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was, what was he, five and years he old when Roger won his first major, yeah. Yeah, he says his idol is Pete Sampras. And it got me to thinking, 2002 is 16 years ago. <laughs> it was two years old. Or, or 15 years ago, whatever right. it is. So, excuse me, 2002, 14 yeah, years ago. Yeah, exactly. So what did he see him at four years old? Or he, he well, becoming... and uh, 2002 was the very tale, you know, 2002 wasn't exactly the glory, one good tournament, yeah. but that wasn't that, the glory. That's what I mean, he's kind of, you know... I always like to check quirky stats or check things out, but it's like, wow. And then my son gave me this great stat in Melbourne that, like, every player, that, like, there was in the book, I'm getting ready to do one of his matches. And every player that was in the book, my son gives it to me, that has their idol as fed. And his winning record <laughs> against the players that, like, he gave me this list, I'm doing this match, and it's like, oh. My idol, Roger Federer. And it was like, nope, nobody that is his idol has beaten him. That's really funny. It, yeah, so he's like, he gave me the quirky stat. It's like, okay, when you got him in the, in, in the yearbook and says, okay, my idol is, you know. But I just I heard that about Taylor Fritz uh, when they were talking about him in uh, Memphis. His idol, Pete Sampras, is like, man, how, he was into tennis when he was four. Oh, he, he said to us, he, he said, yeah, when I, when I was 16, I had to quit basketball to focus full-time on tennis. You're like, you, you we were you 16. Know, I, that was, that story, I was like, uh, I heard that story <laughs> two years ago, I dude. saw him play at 15 at the Orange Bowl. Okay. And he was already all in on tennis at 15 in the Orange Bowl. That was the same year that Tiafu and um, uh, Kozlov played in the final. Right, right. That was the same year. Right. So he was already, everybody, a lot of people were talking about him then, and he was 15. Um, all right, let's take a, uh, I feel like I need to set the timer on my phone, but let's, let's do like a five minute warrior 
diversion. You okay with that? Okay. So, so seriously, I mean, you this this it, it's meant facetiously, but really not because I'm curious about how your experience is because you've been for as long as I've known you. Um, you know, you've you've suffered through Chris Gatling and Chris Weber and Nelly and Baron Davis leaving and getting fat and. All those remember Patrick O'Brien? Remember all those lottery oh picks that were just and, horrific. And you know, one of my closest friends is, is Chris Mullins. Yeah, Chris. Exactly. Yeah, Chris Mullins struggled in the front office. Chris, Chris Mullins having a rough, uh, n- nice guy. You rough, turn around, rough, I got, rough I got faith. I got faith. Um, you, you know what? What's amazing is five years ago when Joe Lacob buys the team. I, I think that he's the partner. I don't think he's exactly the full money. But he's like, within five years, we're going to win a championship and win multiple championships. And you know how, you know, we're, you, you, you take everything with a grain exactly. of salt. It's been so long since we've been relevant. We hadn't won a division in 45 years, let alone ever get better. But I'll give him to his full credit. Immediately got rid of Nelly, which had to be done. Right. He's a gimmick coach. Right. Never been a fan of his. Um, and to me, he had a plan brought in this new GM, brought in Jerry West, did things that, that we haven't seen. And then immediately they just done genius level at drafting. And I'm sure the rest of my lifetime, I'll never get to see. I, didn't, I don't get to be a New England Patriots fan, so they're, what they've got to experience. I mean, the fact that we're – in the same equation now as the Bulls or the Lakers Showtime or, or what we're doing. Yeah, what is and that the core like? Group, the core group of what we got and we're exciting to watch. This, is, this has been sheer joy. And to me, Steph Curry has a lot of the same things to me as Djokovic does. I said it in Australia. They, they remind me of each other a lot. They're similar size. Um, people just didn't see the pure greatness of Djokovic like they did for Curry, but both determined and both made big changes to continue to get better. And what Steph did in the offseason after this great season, you know, everybody's, oh, the Warriors are probably going to go down or he can't do better than last year. He's considerably better than he was last year because he's putting in the work. And it just, it's, it's just been fantastic to watch this and fun to watch how they play, um, and 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 to me, Clay is is straight old school. He's straight old school. Right. He's like right. about one of the only guys you'll see in the NBA that he gets butchered. He doesn't complain about calls. He just plays, and and it, it, I, I love watching him play together and seeing how he plays off of Steph. It just. I promise you, I'll never get to see anything like this again in my lifetime. I'm going to enjoy it every night. My wife says to me, even the other night, I haven't missed a game all season. I watch every darn game, even in Australia, if I can get it on or whatever. It's like, I'm not missing it because I like, might not ever get to see this again, so I'm going to make a point to see every single game. What, what I always like is when they play on the road. I mean, you know, Saturday night's game, that, that Oklahoma City, I mean, that's, that's sort of an exception. But even, you know, they, they, played, the, uh, they played the Wizards. During Super Bowl week, and I, I was out in San Francisco, so it was on on every TV. We watched that. When this team plays on the road, the the fans are going crazy for the Warriors. I mean, this is like this is like America's team, and you you forget uh, you you forget the home team because these guys are impossible not to like, and so fun to watch. That I, I always like watching the uh, always like watching the visiting crowds because uh, they they end up liking the Warriors by the end of the game. 
Well, well, I'll tell you at least for me that, that hits me immediately. Well, obviously Showtime, the Lakers was just they had such a great cast of characters in the '80s, and you know, to me, their teams with Shaq and Kobe. You know, sometimes when you have superstars, they transcend out of the city, and people just want to see. The Warriors, to me, have become like Fed, like that rock show that people got to see and they're going to root for because to me, the biggest thing about Steph is he's not like LeBron James. He's not dunking on people. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. People can say that if I go out and shoot a thousand jumpers a day, maybe I could play high school. Maybe I can play college. His dad said on an interview, like when he was in, I hope that he can get a college scholarship. They didn't give him one to Virginia Tech, his alma mater. And then his college coach told him after the first game that he played, he said that this kid's going to make a lot of money. And Dell thought was, geez, maybe he'll be playing in Europe. So I I just think that there's a lot for tennis players. You can think about that. You know what? Who ever thought 15 years ago David Ferrer would have been what he is? Right. He's willed himself to be a great player. And I think that five years ago, all these ankle problems that the guy went through and everybody you know, said that he'd never make it. You're talking about Curry. He's, he's willed himself to be in this position, and he deserves it. And I think people can really feed off of him because he's not like LeBron. He doesn't just dunk on people. He's not the biggest, strongest, fastest guy. He's not like Jordan. He's, he's more like a lot of other people that's not, like I said, the, a, a physical beast. Someone was telling me, a, a guy at the NCAA was saying what they liked the best is that it used to be that kids would, you know, they'd lower the hoop to eight feet, and they would try these ridiculous Jordan dunks, so they'd try to dunk, taking off from the free throw line. Now everybody's just working on their jumper. Now everybody just wants to, uh, to be a pure shooter because they're imitating Curry. You know, the other night, my idol as a kid was the legendary Bill King. And Bill King would have said, Steph, Skr- Steph Curry, stop on a dime, 40-footer, nothing but that, you know. And he would have thrown in the holy Toledo. And I'm sure every coach in the NBA would have, like, gone ballistic had their guy taken that shot from that <laughs> yeah, far right. away. And, and other than Steph. And it, it's amazing that he can take it and just literally have no fear because I saw a stat, he's shooting like from beyond 30 feet, he's shooting 68% from the season, and he's shooting way better than umpteen all-stars do yeah, at I've the seen, rim. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, yeah, so his range just, is 38 it, feet. And it, it, it's just like Fed pulling off impossible shots that you think just no one else could do. But he, and I also think that's the maturation of greatness is when you're willing to do things that others aren't. I like your hot take with Djokovic. We were playing around with this on Twitter, and the other, the other response I got was the Curry, the Curry analogy to Federer as two guys who were able to compete. Basically, can we say this on the air, producer? Just com- compete and not be assholes. That uh, they smile and they do their interviews and they do their autographs and they don't feel like it's a burden. They don't feel like they have to put on the assassin's mask. Um, the the Federer Curry sort of bending time and performing with, with joy and not feeling like uh, they're doing hard labor every time they compete. What, what, do you, what do you think of that analogy? Well, I told you in my lifetime, I've never seen anybody have a bigger fan base than Roger Federer. 
I mean, he's just taking it to another level. Dan Ravel, who's a master of crazy stats, he can tell you about funnel cakes and everything. He, I heard him this morning come up with a stat about Steph. He said it's the highest he's ever heard. He has a 99% approval rating. Not even close. To, I mean, as great as Jordan was. Oh, no, that's know? what I'm saying. I mean, Jordan was Jordan was a tough guy, and Jordan was, you know, he yes. come up with these straw men that he didn't like. Yeah, and I, these... think, I think you're only going to get Roger Federer and, and, and Steph. They're going to get an insane. He also comes from a great family. He He's already married with two kids. His daughter is so lovable. And I, I think that he really is a great guy. You know, I don't know him. I haven't had beers no, with but, him. But you say, you say approval. Like, what could you possibly disapprove of? What's the absolute, the worst Nothing. thing you could take? He, he, his guess, mouth, his mouthpiece hangs you, out. You know what? If, you know who took exception to him the other night? Oscar Robinson. I'll give you one person. But uh, the interviewer was an idiot. Ask Damon Lillard when he had this unbelievable game. And Portland was the last team to beat the Warriors. Yeah, right, and Lillard right. scored 51. Right. And so he has this great game the other night, and the commentator says to him, he goes, God, what an amazing Steph Curry-type game you had in the first half. And, and, and he didn't like that. He's from Oakland. And it's like, he, you know, opposed to like, God, you had an amazing first half. Or, yeah, you know, right, right. Yeah, but I, I just feel like, you know, maybe if you were playing against him, it's like if you're playing against Fed, you know, and you lose, you know, like Djokovic is, and they're always rooting for Fed. You know, so... Uh, maybe if you're defending him and then he does that little dance after he does it, maybe you're a little bit annoyed the opponent. I don't know. You, you get a 38-foot shot to win an overtime game. It seems to me that's that's license you get. Um, all right, Jamie's saying we got to get back to tennis. Um, okay. But wait, here's here's my segue, which is um, – no, I mean, I, I think there's something – look, the guy is unbelievably talented. He's fun to watch. And I think, like Federer, the fact that there's joy in the performance – and they don't have to sort of play this tough guy role, I, I think adds to the appeal. But I, but I want to ask you, um, I never asked you this. If I said to you right now, Brad Gilbert, you're giving me nothing, um, I, I thought maybe that would mimic some of your experience during matches coaching Andy Murray. And I've always been really curious. I mean, you talk to Andy Murray, and he's, he's a great guy to talk to. He, he's thoughtful. I think that the media all like him, other players like him. And what goes on when he plays his matches it's not just crazy to see, but it seems really at odds with who he is. You have any insight into uh, this whole phenomenon of Andy Murray yelling at the box? Well, you know, it's funny is obviously I commentate and, and still get along very well with him. And they sometimes when we say about how he's given the box to business, and I was like, everybody, I mean, when I was coaching him 06, 07, I mean, he, he's a joy compared to how he was then. He used <laughs> You're to, giving me and nothing. we didn't have two minivans. It was just me and him on the road. Um, I, the, the most amazing thing I've ever seen, John, is Andy off the court. I mean, he, he, he's thoughtful. He, he, he's not argumentative. He's not like in your face. That's not the saying. personality yeah, you would I'm think saying. that he has on the court. He thinks a lot. Like when people are talking, he's listening and will remember what everybody says, but he's content to it. But on the court, he gets on the court and a different personality comes out that you don't usually see from an athlete at that level because normally 
you see more traits to, you know, when you're uh, being more argumentative off the court, yeah, exactly. if you're exactly. like that. So he, it's an unusual situation that, that he, and he sometimes, like, I, I did even feel like when I coached him, it was like, he needed, he needs that rage sometimes to, to, to make his game get better. And I remember sometimes when he'd be so bad at me, he'd, he'd come and like apologize to me afterwards and then I'd be thinking, you know what? He he's gonna come tomorrow and do it again. But what? But what's going on there? I mean, is it just dur- during competition? Neurochemistry uh, is a powerful force, and we do things we don't otherwise do. Is it? You guys are joking about this over over steak uh, later that night. I mean, what, what's? How do you explain this? You know, to to me, it's you know, you you can't put something on it to to say, okay, you got the answer. When I coach Raddick. Roddick likes to argue, right. you know, it, it, it fuels him. It fuels him on the court. If, if, if nine guys say red, he's going to say black, you know, and, and there's plenty of athletes that are, have different, you know, and then you'll have plenty that are fairly soft-spoken off the court and that's how they are on the court. So Andy, to me, doesn't play his personality. Obviously he, he finds, things that happen on the court that trigger something. Uh, and obviously he's had a lot of things in his life, you, you know, that maybe make trigger things that he keeps to himself. But I, I, can't, I can't give you a reason why he does it. But I do think ultimately, which I told him many times, that when you're chasing Fed, Rafa, Joker, those guys, anything that you give away will cost you. He's gotten better at it, but still, I think that is the one thing that 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 maybe holds him back just at the highest level against those guys is that it's like when you're playing poker, you can't tell the guy next to you that you're holding a seven two offsuit or you're holding aces. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, if I'm looking across the net and I see uh, and I see that, that's. But John McEnroe, listen, I see him many times. I played against him a zillion times. I heard that. I remember one time he thumped me in the finals of, of San Francisco. And I remember a buddy of mine sitting in the stands, and it was like, you know, about telling me bad luck or something like that. You know what he says to me? He goes, he was pissed that John didn't get pissed on the court. Okay. It was like, so, so it's like how many people, when they, when they see, want to see him get mad because maybe they want to get mad at their boss. That's interesting. So, I mean, the guy didn't tell me bad luck or this. He was mad that John didn't get mad. I was like, I mean, guy already kicked my ass as it was. What's your relationship with McEnroe these days, John? No John, John, that is. You guys are cool. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah, we we work together a few times. Yeah, that's what and, I'm saying. It's but yeah, like know. like for me, if if you could tell, like I'm over my tennis. A lot of oh. Older people or whatever, they're still fighting to hold on to their tennis, and I'm over it. Like I'm focused on what's going on now, and and you know. No, I think I that's God really. Me, uh... I wish God gave me a better serve, but every year I asked him, he didn't do it. You know. <laughs> like, no, but seriously, I, I think that's. I think it's really. I think it's. I think it's admirable, but I also think it's important. I mean, to a lot of viewers out there, it sounds horrible to say this, but you know, John McEnroe may as well be Bill Tilden. I mean, my, my son can't. You know, there there's so many people who just don't remember some of these players 
as as athletes, it's it's like it's like if in an NBA game, if George Gervin and uh, David Thompson were there. I, I mean, about- I mean, John's. I mean, he's a hundred times more level than I was. So I'm not gonna, you know. And and you you work in TV. Everybody's got their own style. That's true. You know, sure. I didn't cultivate my style. I didn't go to some classroom and try to learn how to do it. I just feel like for me, you, you know, it's best suited for me. And like I said, most importantly, I'm so over that part of my life. Mrs. G, my wife would be kicking me if if I'm just on TV talking about myself. She already gets annoyed enough of me when I talk about (laughs) players that I coach. You know, she thinks that I should be just focused on eyes in front of me, have fun. But it's like so many kids didn't see a lot of these players to focus on the ones that that you're seeing right yeah exactly no i i, I say that with with admiration give me um are you, you'll be covering indian wells you'll be i will be covering indian wells yes so maria indian wells miami and then i'm i got the garden in it, uh next week so oh that's I right got a fun run i should say we're uh we're I'm, I'm headed off to indian you're you're coming east i'm coming i'm going west i'll i'm headed to indian wells so we're actually taping yeah. this on, yeah so uh, it'll, it'll be a good run we get to last like five days of those and so i, I i'm just listen i i i mean I thought for sure we'd come into Indian Wells that Joker would have this streak going to, to, to break Roger Federer, but obviously got that eye infection. But every tournament starts and ends with him. Right. You, you know, where he's at, can can somebody, you know, do something about it? I, I, I'd love to see one of the young Americans make a run. You know, I think it just makes it fun. And more than anything, just great for Larry Ellison because he's, you know – what what he's done to make that tournament into the greatest non-slam, to see both Williams sisters there. Uh, I'm sure that it took some phone calls and everything. It just, God bless him. I was going to ask you for five things from Indian Wells. You've given me, uh, you've given me three already. So no, uh, no Roger, no Maria. And I, I feel as though Larry Ellison has done a, such a nice job with that event. That losing two stars is unfortunate, but it it hardly is a deal breaker. It, that's like a little bit like a a player talking about himself. You can't control that they're not there, right. and and don't make that an emphasis. They're not there, so we got to focus on who's there. You know what? They're still going to give I, out I a trophy. I think the best thing for Roger. I said right away when everybody's blowing up on Twitter and asking me, I said, "Listen, the, the sensible thing because he's never been hurt is start on the clay. Right. You know, you don't want to start rush back to play on cement." where you've just had your first surgery of your career. So he's doing the right thing and focus on, I hope that we get some young players. And, uh, and the, the last thing is i got to take the wife to the city. I just hope that we finally get some seated women players that win some matches. Well, Serena's, I mean, Serena's going to be there, so that's, uh, yeah, so that's but, a plus. But, but when she hasn't been there, every single tournament like, blows up like on seated players winning some matches. So hopefully we get some form, we get some good weather, and I just, I, I pinch myself, honest to goodness, how amazing that that tournament has raised the bar. Great, great event. To, 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 listen, it's like the only tournament we got in California anymore. So everybody from, you know, where I live, you know, used to go to San Jose or the LA, that's the tournament. And to see how that they keep making it better and friendly, it, you know, and for that matter, Cincinnati, too. These tournaments keep getting better. It's like players pushing the envelope. You, you know, it's sad what's happening in Miami, so hopefully they'll find some new ground. But it's important, as American, we have these tournaments, and, and they're 
great joys for people to come to and want to be a part of. It makes our sport grow. Indian Wells is like the Warriors. They played in a hotel parking lot not long ago. They went to Chris Gatling in the low post not long ago, and, and look at him now. All right, take uh, I can't believe you like that, that? that you're throwing Chris Gatling out, and if I'm not mistaken, the plate like, said. I, I, uh, I, it's like you were, you were going to throw Daniel Marshall in there or something like that. Yeah, right, right. You're, he's obscure that he, he's tied with Steph Curry at 12 for the most three balls ever. I'm thinking of all the agony, though. The Todd Fullers, I'm thinking through the years of what you've had to endure to get to where you are. All right, go take Mrs. G. To, uh, okay, now, now I'm, I'm going to grab you my here. wife, and you're going to make me like, I'm giving you an out. Have, have bad memories. Todd Fuller, I remember, I believe it was Dave Twardzik. Oh, man. Who played for Portland. Yeah, the old Portland Trailblazer, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you're you right. He you're said, right. I'll never draft Kobe Bryant, some high school kid. And he drafted <laughs> Todd Fuller over Kobe Bryant. If we didn't deserve pain for that, you know, and, and, and listen, in between like 99 and 2003, I think we averaged 65 losses a season. So uh, I know pain, but that one I remember, I'll never forget. Todd Fuller over Kobe Bryant. Enjoy the team you have now. Go take your wife to the city. Always a okay, pleasure. Take care, buddy. Gina Desert. All right. See you, Brad. Thanks. All right. That was Brad Gilbert. We're going to let him go before he faces the wrath of Mrs. G, his wife. You can follow her on Twitter as well, as well as Brad at BG Tennis Nation. You can catch him on ESPN. Um, again, I think that conversation illustrates why we all like Brad so much. Um, never boring with him. And uh, he keeps tennis fun and, again, engages that casual fan who may have switched over from the Warriors game. That does it for this week. Feel free to keep the suggestions, the comments, the criticism coming. Always appreciated. We're going to try to do a few more of these when we get to Indian Wells. That's it for this week, though. Enjoy the first few days of the BNP Paribas Open. And talk to you soon. Have a good week, everyone.